0: Hey guys, welcome back. This episode is going to be a trip report for a skiing trip that I just did in Austria with my brother. I originally wasn't planning on having this be its own episode, but we just had such a great time that I wanted to talk about it. The trip was just absolutely incredible. And before I get started, I just have a few announcements to make. The first is that I'm narrowing in on plans for the first meetup. I'm thinking of having it on the first weekend of March. So look out for an email in the next few days with a formal announcement. It's not going to be anything too crazy. Probably just hanging out at a brewery in Portland. And if you're not subscribed to the email list yet, most of you are, but if you're not, you can do so at churninglife.com. The next thing is that the churning life merch store is now live it's something that i was really just making for fun all the items are priced just at cost so i'm not making any money off of it i was mainly just planning on using it to buy some stuff for my friends and family just for fun but if you're interested feel free to check it out you'll find a link on my website i actually tried out a few different suppliers for this store probably ordered way too many samples because it took a few tries before i found products that i liked so i'll have a few things to give away at the meetup okay so now let's get started and talking about the trip so for the past few years my brother and my parents have been icon pass holders and spend a lot of time skiing in mammoth as we have a friend who owns a condo there and my brother has actually spent a season working there as a lift operator but the lift ticket prices have just gone through the roof it can be as high as 200 for one day and that's not an exact in fact, I'm looking at the ticket prices for this weekend, and one day is $245. Of course, if you book in advance and go for a weekday, it can be as low as $175, but that is just absolutely ridiculous. Of course, you can also get the Icon Pass, which gives you unlimited access for the season, and that gives you access to not just Mammoth, but other resorts as well, and that is priced at $1,300 for for an adult but you do really need to ski a decent amount to make it worth it so around december of last year my br- brother decided that he was not going to get an icon pass for this season it was just too expensive and was thinking about maybe to go ski mount hood for a few days and also to look into skiing in europe because we've heard that the lift ticket prices are a lot cheaper But we couldn't plan a trip too far in advance because he wasn't really sure where he was going to be. He's just graduated from college recently so he might be getting a new job or moving to a new state. But throughout most of December and early January I was doing research on skiing resorts in Europe and also looking at what flights might make sense to book from Portland. And so eventually we decided on going to Arlberg in Austria. We heard that it's not as expensive as Switzerland, but it's still very good skiing. And in particular going to St. Anton, which is one of the towns in the whole Arlberg mountain complex. It looked to be the biggest town and the one that's the easiest to get to. And so when I was researching how to get there, I saw that we could fly into this town called Innsbruck, which is only about a one-hour train ride from St. Anton. And then the train station is just right in the middle of town, so we could walk to our hotel from there. And so yeah, I would say that St. Anton was really easy to get to. I was also looking into going to Zermatt in Switzerland, which I think would also be doable, but would just require a bit longer of a train ride. And yeah, so about two weeks before the trip, we decided we want to go on MLK weekend. And I found some good flights on January 9th, which was the Tuesday before the weekend. And then I thought that we could try and come back on Monday, which was MLK day itself. And so the routing was Portland to San Francisco and then San Francisco to Frankfurt on the Lufthansa 747. And then from Frankfurt to Innsbruck on Air Dolomites. And so, yeah, I thought this was a great itinerary we could pick seats on the top deck of the 747, which was something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. My wife and I actually flew on a Lufthansa 747 from Seattle back when they were flying that plane there. And we had seats on the top deck, but unfortunately when we got to our seats, the flight attendants told us that one of them was inoperative. So we had to go back down to the lower deck, which was quite disappointing. It was still in business class, so not really a downgrade. But still, I was kind of sad about that and was really hoping to get the opportunity to fly on the 747 again. So yeah, we booked this with aeroplan miles, which were transferred from Chase with that 20% transfer bonus. So we booked the outbound about two weeks before departure. And then I thought, well, we'll come back on the following Monday, but we'll just wait and see if something comes up last minute because Lufthansa doesn't release their award seats until one to two weeks before departure. And I was also thinking, you know, maybe we could get lucky and get Lufthansa first class seats, which would be really cool. You know, be able to go to the first class terminal and all that. And I'd actually booked some refundable positioning flights from Seattle, San Francisco, and Chicago to get back to Portland in the case that we did snag one of those Lufthansa first class seats. When I had this idea in mind, it looked like Chicago had a pretty decent chance of something coming up on that day, but then the weekend before we left, I saw that there was no award space on the Air Dolomites flight from Innsbruck back to Frankfurt on that Monday, and I didn't think that any more space would open up on that route, but that was okay, we could just take the train to Zurich instead and check out Zurich. It's only about a two and a half hour train ride to get from St. Anton to Zurich. And then as I was doing some research, I saw that there were some pretty good flights with American Airlines flying from Zurich to London to LAX to Portland. And so I was like, you know what, I think we should just book that. I don't really want to be refreshing Aeroplan 18 times during our trip and be constantly worrying about how we're going to get back. Of course, there are always economy flights available. So we would have been able to get home, but it's just not something that I wanted to have to think about during the vacation. And I just didn't have a good feeling that things would open up because I was looking around that date and it seemed like there was a lot of flights on the Sunday and the Tuesday. But very few options coming back on that Monday, which was MLK Day itself, It might be because that was a holiday. So yeah, we decided to lock that itinerary in the day before we left, which I think was a good decision. I did keep tracking the flights to see if anything would have opened up on that Monday. And actually at 4am on that Monday, there was business class space that opened up from Frankfurt to San Francisco. So we theoretically could have gotten that, but it just would have been too stressful, I think. And yeah, the American Airlines itinerary was pretty good, actually. So I don't think we needed to optimize it too much. So in summary, from Portland to San Francisco to Frankfurt to Innsbruck was 90,000 aeroplane miles. And then from Zurich to London to LA to Portland was 57,500. American Airlines model. And we were able to get that for two people. Okay, so on to the actual trip and so first we flew from Portland to San Francisco and there actually wasn't any business award space for that route on United and actually if you're in this kind of mixed cabin itinerary with United it is possible to get on the upgrade waitlist because it should be a business class award I mean that's what you paid for if you book with United miles then you can call in and ask to get on the waitlist. but if you book with a partner then you will need to do it at the check-in counter, and so since we booked with Aeroplan Miles, that's what we did, and that will give you the priority above the complementary upgrades and at the same level as plus points upgrades and mileage upgrades, but it will still be ranked in order of status. So if you don't have any status, then you'll be sort of at the bottom of that. So yeah, anyway, we did not get upgraded. There were just too many people with status that were trying to use their plus points or whatever that were ahead of us. But even though we didn't get it, it is good to know that that is possible. And especially if you have status, you'll have a lot higher chance of getting it. And it could be quite important, like if you're on an award from Europe to Portland that connects through the East Coast. So yeah, we made it to San Francisco and got to go to the San Francisco Polaris Lounge, which is a pretty good lounge i think it is given a little bit too much hype by the bloggers which is basically all lounges but they had champagne and the a la carte dining and showers but the food wasn't really that special it was just like normal food but it did have pretty good views of the planes outside and next was flying from san francisco to frankfurt on the top deck of the 747 And up there it's in a 2-2 configuration, so there's no direct aisle access, but if you are traveling with a companion, it works out pretty well. I think there's something to be said about the open space concept and being able to kind of move around freely instead of being trapped inside a cubicle. Some of these reverse herringbone seats can be quite difficult to get in and out of. And so yeah, this might be a bit of a hot take, but I really like Lufthansa business class. I think my favorite part is the crew. This is my second time flying them, and it was like this before as well, where just the crew have a lot of personality and just seem very happy. They were chatting with each other in the galley and while they were in their jump seats, and they were like, oh, which wine did you like the best? And have you tried the Australian wine yet? Oh, let me pour you a glass of that. And they were chatting a lot with the other passengers as well. It didn't seem like they were being fake or anything. They were just like genuinely having a good time. I'm sure that it helped that it was a daytime flight. During those nighttime flights, a lot of the times the crew can just kind of rush through the meal service and try to get to bed. But anyways, yeah, on Lufthansa, we just had a great flight, and I'll definitely look forward to try to book with them again. They're probably one of the airlines that releases the most award space out of anyone, especially for those close-in award bookings. And so we got to Frankfurt, and there's quite a few different business class lounges in Frankfurt. We just kind of picked one randomly. It was like the panorama lounge that's inside the schengen zone we mainly just went there to take a shower and chill for a bit and then we got on our flight to innsbruck which was just a short one and a half hour flight it was in the fake european business class which just means that they don't sell the seat next to you but they still had a meal service which is kind of rare to see on domestic flights in the US these days, it has to be over a certain number of miles. And yeah, the approach into Innsbruck Airport was really beautiful. It's just a really cool airport to fly into, especially when it's sunny. You know, you get to fly so close to these mountains and then fly through this valley for landing. I've heard that it's one of the more difficult approaches, and if there's any bad weather, you might have a hard time flying in there. So if there's a lot of snow in the forecast, you might want to consider flying into Zurich instead, which, like I said, is just a bit longer of a train ride. So yeah, we made it into Innsbruck all right. The only thing was that for this trip, we decided to check some bags to include all of our ski gear and skis. Normally, I try really hard not to check any bags, but for this one, I just felt like there was kind of too much gear for skiing. You know, like you need a helmet, goggles, boots, skis, and poles. My brother just got some new skis that he wanted to try. And for me, for some reason, it can be kind of hard to find boots that fit well for me. My foot is kind of like a high arch. And we both wear size 12 and 13 shoe, so it may have been hard to find boots that fit us properly. That and I guess we would have saved some money by not having to rent. So we had checked two bags, one with our helmets and boots and one with our skis and poles and when we got to san francisco the first red flag was when we were sitting in the polaris lounge and i checked our air tags and one of them looked like it was getting loaded onto the plane but the skis were still somewhere in the central terminal so that made me a little worried and then when we went to the gate and did our document check with lafonza the gate agent was like oh so you just have one bag and i was like no we have two bags and she was like like okay and she looks at our computer for a bit and presses some buttons and gives us back our passport and i asked her like okay so is everything okay with our bags you know we have two of them and she said oh yeah everything's fine i just accepted it and at that point it was about five or ten minutes before boarding which is about 30 or 40 minutes before departure so i was really worried that our bags would not make it on the plane And then I was checking the AirTag as we were boarding the plane and having our pre-departure champagne and the bag was still in the main terminal and not on the plane. So I was pretty sure that it wasn't going to make it. But at the same time, I was a little bit indifferent on whether or not it would come because if it didn't come then that would just be more content for me to talk about on the podcast and I was just kind of curious to see what would happen and so we got to Frankfurt and I checked the air tag again and the bag was still in San Francisco and it was at this point that I tried to go to the Lafonza service desk and report the lost baggage and so i tried to do this and for some reason there was a bit of a communication problem and i actually tried two different service agents and they both tried to tell me that everything was fine, and I kept trying to tell them, like, look, the bag is still in San Francisco, can we do something about this. And so it wasn't until that we got to Innsbruck that we were able to file a claim, and so I submitted a ticket on the Lufthansa website, and that was actually pretty good. They sent me a bunch of emails updating me on the progress of the bag getting to Innsbruck, and I was also able to track it with the AirTag, which was kind of fun and we were able to time it pretty well because of the air tag to make sure that we were there when the courier arrived to our apartment and the bag ended up being a total of about 48 hours late so we just ended up having to rent skis for two days that ended up costing us 153 euros for two people and i have filed a claim with air dolomites and hopefully i'll hear back from them soon So yeah, I think I was a bit too optimistic to think that I could check a bag of skis all the way from Portland to Innsbruck, but in the end, things worked out fine. It really helped to have that AirTag so I could at least know where it is, and to track the courier as it made its way towards our apartment. I just think that AirTags are an absolute must for anyone that's checking luggage. AirTags are quite cheap for an Apple product. You can get a four pack for about $80. So anyway, to get from the Innsbruck airport to St. Anton, you just need to take about a 15 minute bus ride to get to the train station. And then from there, it's about an hour and 15 minute train ride and the trains run every two hours. So it's pretty convenient to get there. And then for the hotel in St. Anton, It is a ski town, so prices are quite high and there are no options for points. Even if you're trying to use chase points through the portal or something, the price would be higher than if you had booked directly with the hotel, even though hotels are not supposed to do that. And so we found this really nice apartment that just looked brand new and newly renovated. It came with a nice little kitchen and a sauna inside the room. And we stayed there for four nights, and it costed $1,300. So yeah, it was not cheap, but that's just kind of what it cost to stay in that town. The location was really good. It was about a 10-minute walk from the train station, and then just a one-minute walk to the gondola. And the apartment also had a communal ski room, which was a place with some lockers to store your skis and a place to put on your boots and stuff. And it was just run by this really nice family. They live on the top floor, and then they just have four units that they rent out. And it doesn't really seem like they're trying to make money. They didn't spare any expense when they were building this property, that's for sure. Everything was just top-notch finishings and appliances. Oh, and they also had a bread delivery service every morning, so you could just fill out what you wanted the night before, like they had a bunch of different pastries and breads and stuff, and then they would deliver it in the morning. So that was a nice touch, and this property was called the Omela Apartments, it's spelled O-M-A-E-L-A. I'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, I would highly recommend them. If we go back to St. Anton, we would definitely stay there again. You can't book online directly. You need to submit a form and then they'll send you an email with a quote. And then you need to make a wise transfer to their bank account for the deposit. Like they don't take credit card for the deposit. So it's just a little bit weird that way. You know, they're not like a regular hotel. Okay, so moving on to the skiing, and this was the best part. I mean, the skiing was just really, really good. And as expected the lift tickets were very cheap by American standards It was only about 70 euros per day and we got a ticket for three days And I'm looking at it now and it was 243 US dollars So a lift ticket for three days was less than the cost of one day at a weekend at Mammoth And renting skis was pretty affordable as well It was 40 euros for their mid-tier skis, which were pretty good skis and if you wanted to rent boots that was another 20 euros thankfully we had our own boots and helmets and stuff because the bag with that stuff arrived on time And yeah, so the skiing while we were there was really, really good. We got there a couple days after a decent sized snowstorm, so there's still a good amount of snow on the mountain, but we just had really clear skies, which was great. I think it was good that it was sunny when we were there, because the mountain is very complicated. It's very big, and when you're looking at the map, it's kind of hard to see where all the different peaks are and what lifts lead to where. So getting around was a bit confusing especially because there's a few lifts where once you go up the lift there's no way to get down back to where you started unless you wanted to take the lift back down which is a little counterintuitive I don't know if I've ever seen that before but all of the lifts and the gondolas were just really nice There's just so many gondolas, and all of them felt brand new. It really puts American ski resorts to shame. Like, how do you have such a big mountain with such nice equipment, all for a third of the price of American ski resorts? It just doesn't make much sense. I'm just talking about Mammoth, because that's what I've experienced the most, but I'm sure most other American ski resorts are the same, where they charge $250, and there's maybe one or two nice gondolas. Whereas over there, there's probably 10 to 15 gondolas. All of them are brand new with a lot of capacity and you'll just be kind of in the middle of the mountain in some random place and there will just be a brand new express six pack or even eight pack and because of this there were no lines almost anywhere to get on the lift even though it was peak season and perfect conditions i will say though that when there is a line the line is not very well organized you kind of have to push your way through sort of it's not that bad but it can be a little uncomfortable But I think that's just because people are not used to lining up. It's just so rare to have a line there. And I think, yeah, just the low prices are mainly just due to the competition and the number of skiers in relation to the number of ski resorts. In Southern California, there's really just one main ski resort, whereas in Austria, which is about the same amount of landmass, you have Arlberg, which is massive, but there's also a lot of other ski resorts as well over there. So there's just way more competition. And yeah, Mammoth can just charge whatever they want pretty much and they just make so much money. And why would they bother upgrading any of their lifts when they already have thousands and thousands of people coming and paying that very high ticket price? I guess it just doesn't make sense from a business perspective. And yeah, so those are the lifts, and the skiing itself was also really, really good. We were lucky because there was a nice snowstorm a few days prior to coming, like I said, so there was still a decent amount of powder, but at the same time, there was a lot of groomed trails so if blasting down groomers is your thing, there's definitely a lot of that there. The other great thing about skiing Austria is a lot of people don't really like to ski off the trail that much. So even two, three, four days after a storm you can still find some really good powder. Which is my favorite part about skiing, you know it can be kinda of hard to find that in the US. Especially this year, there's just no snow to begin with. But whenever there is a big storm, usually it all gets tracked up in like 2 or 3 hours as soon as whatever that relevant lift gets opened so it can be hard to ski in powder unless it's actively snowing but yeah we just had a really good time as far as the skiing so that was the skiing and then the restaurants and the bars on the mountain are also really fun too the food was pretty good it was a bit expensive but i mean so is every other ski resort in america and at least there you're getting decent food instead of just like some burger from the cafeteria and of course as is common throughout europe alcohol is a lot cheaper than it is in the u.s if you wanted to get a beer anywhere like whether that's the mid station or at the top of the mountain or even at one one of the fancier restaurants at the base a 500 ml draft beer was always around seven euros which may sound like a lot but remember that in europe you don't have to pay a tax or a tip that's already factored into the price So I thought the prices were pretty good. And there was pretty good variety as far as the restaurants and bars on the mountain. Pretty much every gondola mid-station had one. And then there were a few other restaurants scattered around the mountain as well. And the after-skiing bar scene was very strong. There were some pretty wild parties. And you know, when you go down your last run at 3 or 4 p.m., I would say that at least half of the people skiing down are stopping at one of the bars on the mountain and they just party until 6 7 or 8 p.m and then ski down the rest of the run in the dark and yeah it was just a really fun time i would say that saint anton is the biggest town in arlberg it has the most restaurants and hotels but a lot of people also stay in one of the other towns like zers or Lech. those are a little bit more central to the skiing but they are a little bit harder to get to if you're coming by train because you would have to get off the train and then get on a bus to get to one of those towns but if you have a car or are renting a car then of course it's a lot easier to get there so yeah that was the ski trip and like i said i really can't recommend it enough if you're an avid skier you really have to go or if you're a snowboarder you don't see a lot of snowboarders there but it is allowed i only wish that our trip was longer we only did three days of skiing which is a lot i mean we were pretty tired but i have I felt like I wanted to go back out there on the fourth day and on that day we went over to Zurich. I think it was pretty cool to see the city but there wasn't really that much to do as a tourist besides kind of walk around and go to some bars and restaurants. We ended up having a nice dinner at this fondue restaurant which was kind of touristy but it was still pretty good and then the next day we left in the early morning back to Portland and by the way I would say that Zurich airport is probably the the easiest airport to get to out of any major city. It's only a 10 minute train ride from the main station, and so our first flight was from Zurich to London. It was just in the fake european business class but there was some decent food that we had for breakfast and then for our layover in london we're on a one world business class ticket via american airlines so we had access to a lot of different lounges over there we ended up going to both the Cathay pacific lounge and the qantas business lounges which based on my research were kind of the top two lounges in london heathrow terminal 3 and what we experienced was pretty much the same as what I was expecting based on my research. The Qantas lounge has better coffee. They have like an actual espresso bar with someone making the coffee instead of just coming out of the machine and then for food it really just depends on your preference cafe has the noodle bar and some more eastern options whereas the Qantas lounge has a la carte dining with like the eggs benedict and that kind of thing they were also serving their salt and pepper squid which is like a signature for them i think it's basically just like calamari which was a little bit odd to have for breakfast but it was still pretty good and then Qantas also has this gin bar which a lot of bloggers have mentioned but I don't think anyone has ever actually tried it I guess I thought that the gin bar would be like you get a gin flight and do a tasting of different gins but it's really more like there's a menu with a bunch of different gin cocktails so I'm not really sure if you're really tasting the gin at that point you're probably just tasting mostly tonic I don't know I, I don't really drink gin so I don't really know that much about that But most flights from Europe to the U.S. leave in the morning, so it's not really time to be drinking gin anyway. Okay, so moving on to our flight from London to LAX on the American Airlines Business Class. It was on their flagship 777 in a reverse herringbone, and I would say that these seats did feel significantly longer than most other Business Class products that I've tried. I should probably start bringing my tape measure with me so that I can measure it but it did feel like probably 3 to 4 inches longer which does make quite a big difference especially if you're tall like I am and my brother is. I'm about 6 foot 3 inches and my brother's a little bit taller so we really liked the scene and the food was actually pretty good as well. My brother said that the food was better than United Polaris however on this flight we were not offered any pajamas whereas on the Lufthansa flight we were offered a sleeping shirt you don't get any pajama pants but it's just like a shirt and they give that out for any flight that is longer than 10 and a half hours so San Francisco and LA would get it but Seattle and Denver do not I think And on this American Airlines flight, we were both in window seats. But I was in row 11, which I learned does not have a window. I'm not really sure why all the other window seats have a window. So I guess that's just some sort of niche knowledge that you need to know. I'm sure everyone on Flyer Talk already knows about that. And yeah, this was actually my first time flying in business class on a US-based carrier. So it almost felt a little weird that... The cabin crew spoke English as their native language, and the flight attendants were really nice on this flight as well. One of them just wanted to hear all about our trip to Austria, and so yeah, we made it to LAX, and both of our bags made it there as well. We did try to go get the interview on arrival for my brother for the global entry, but it was going to be like a two-hour wait, so we just skipped it. I don't know; it's just so hard to get global entry these days. I mean, I guess you could make an appointment at the airport. like six months in advance, but then you have to drive all the way to the airport on a day that you're not actually traveling. I don't know, I got Global Entry back in 2017, and back then you could just queue in the regular Global Entry line, and you would just do the interview right there with the CBP officer, which was really convenient. But nowadays, they tell you that you have to go through the regular immigration line first, And then once you get your bags, you can go to this other line for the interviews and i also had this happen when i was traveling with other members of my family who were trying to get their interview it's always like they're closed or it's gonna be a two-hour wait and yeah global entry is just not worth waiting two hours for especially if you're usually flying into seattle vancouver or san francisco like we usually are there's almost never a line at the regular immigration queue and if you're checking banks then you're gonna have to wait to pick those up anyway so it's not like it's saving you any time i think the real benefit is the TSA pre-check and my brother just got that as well he was able to make an appointment like a week in advance and drive to some location that was nearby and just had to do some fingerprinting and get his photo taken or something and he was out of there in like five minutes so if you don't have global entry or TSA pre-check yet I would just recommend getting the TSA pre-check and not even bother with the global entry unless you're flying into a lot of really busy airports like maybe JFK or Chicago so yeah we did the whole baggage recheck in LAX and then made our way over to the American flagship lounge which is actually pretty nice in LAX they have really good views outside whereas a lot of the lounges in the international terminal at LAX are kind of underground and don't really have much natural light and yeah the flagship lounge they have I think six showers which is a lot that means like most likely you won't have to wait and I like the self-serve wine and then for our final flight from LA to Portland it was on one of those small American eco planes That leaves from that terminal that you have to take the bus to which is really annoying and while we were in the domestic first class we were not offered a meal on this flight which is important to note even though we were really hungry because we were just at the lounge and we're just really tired at this point anyway and yeah so that was the trip like i said we left on a tuesday and came back on a monday and we ended up with three full days of skiing while we were on our trip, everyone thought that we were just really crazy to be traveling all the way to Austria for that short of amount of time. You know, especially from Portland, where door-to-door it takes at least 24 hours to get to St. Anton, or even Zurich. I think next time I'm going to try to book a one-stop to Zurich from Portland, although it can just be pretty hard to find ward space on Swiss from the West Coast. But yeah, I mean, this trip would have been pretty crazy if we were in economy. And it's just never something I would have even considered if it weren't for miles and points. Because when you book a trip like this in business class, it's not just about the destination and the skiing, but it's also about the journey. Like we got to try out the top deck of the Lufthansa 747, and also the American Airlines business class, which I've never flown before. So next time, now that we know it's so good, we'll definitely try to stay for longer. But I don't have any regrets about this trip. You know, staying for shorter does sort of keep the cost down. The hotel was definitely not cheap. And gotta get back to work and stuff. I do have a full-time job with limited PTOs. So I'm trying to save some of that for trips with my wife as well. So yeah, that was the trip report. I know I did talk a lot about skiing and stuff, so hopefully you still found this interesting even if you're not a skier or snowboarder. But yeah, thanks for listening, and until next time...